0: Hello and thank you for joining us. Welcome to Zooming In on Hate, a podcast series that brings together the brightest minds to figure out solutions to hate speech and disinformation.
1: Um, so we regularly speak to various voices from tech, civil society, law enforcement and policy makers to help identify and analyse the latest trends on social media.
0: This podcast is part of the European Observatory of Online Hate, or EOOH in short. Today we have a special edition for you on the role of influencers reporting on the war in Ukraine. My name is Lydia Khoury and I'm with Tex-Gain. And My name is Hannah Richter. I'm the campaign manager at Dare to be Grey. It's really a great pleasure today to welcome Natalie Van Rame-Dunk,
1: who is hard to fit into any specific category because she has so many strings to her bow. Apart from being a PhD candidate at the Vreye University in Brussels, she researches online platforms, radicalisation and disinformation. But she also has her her hands firmly on the non-academic world too by founding and growing the Instagram account Anti-Conspiracy Meme Wars, which has over 40,000 followers. And if you're not following it, please do for a place of refuge. Natalie, thanks a million for joining us on Zooming In on Hate. And let's kick off with your Instagram account, Anti-Conspiracy Meme Wars. How did it come about?
2: Uh, thanks, Lydia, for uh, the invite uh, and also for uh, yeah giving me an extra boost on my Instagram account. Uh, no, it's uh, it's been purely a hobby project that kind of ran out of hand, uh, and I started this during the pandemic because I saw so much um, yeah conspiracies, misinformation about COVID, about the pandemic spread on uh, platforms, especially on a platform like Instagram and uh and i also came across a lot of memes that i thought hey this these are good memes to debunk all of that so i just decided to um kind of collect them and, and um, put them in one account for people to come back to as a sort of a useful resource mm. and it's yeah it's it's been uh, it's been great to um you know be able to be helpful not just uh, with the pandemic but also now uh, after the pandemic uh, we have a new uh whole misinformation uh, uh, storm upon us with the Ukraine, uh, um, uh, yeah, the invasion of the Russian army in Ukraine. Well, that's a great leading point for our next
0: question, talking about the war in Ukraine. Uh, Please tell us, what have you observed online since
2: it has started? So much, uh, I don't, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, I I think a, a few Points that are maybe useful: um, Observing not just on Instagram, but the rest is, is there's been a lot of uh, solidarity, especially in the West. Um, disbelief that it's happening, especially leading up to the war. A lot of people said this would never happen, um, and yeah, a lot of people supporting also uh, Ukraine, sharing fundraisers, uh, sharing ways to help refugees, um, how to get food to the the the, you know, the war zones, um, but also people trying to use social media to put pressure on their politicians to um, act more forceful against Russia. So there's been there's been a lot of um, this kind of like, you know, solidarity. Um, and this has also been mixed with quite a lot of uh, pro-Ukraine propaganda, if I may say, um, which has really been, you know, the the narratives of Ukraine is so much stronger than the Russian army. Um, I've seen so many memes of Ukrainian farmers towing away Russian tanks, which, yeah, it, it happened a few times, but not to the amount of the, the memes uh, extension. Um, and so we, we need to acknowledge that as well. There's been there's been quite some propaganda. And by propaganda, we understand um, information that isn't necessarily unfactual. So it's still based in reality, um, but it is, you know, expanded a bit more hyperbolic, uh, really to tug on some emotional uh, heartstrings. So. Um, there's been that kind of propaganda pro-Ukraine, there's of course also been a lot of pro-Russia propaganda, um, and a lot more disinformation as well uh, from the Russian side. Uh, yeah, these stories of, of uh, massacres that never happened, uh, crisis actors uh, at the maternity hospital in Mariupol, uh, the, the butcher corpses that were found uh, that had like, you know, footage that appears to seem uh, the corpses are still moving, which. of uh, course were we're completely fake. Um, So we've seen a lot of this information uh, circulate as well uh, since the invasion and and a lot of this hinges also on just the enormous amount of of footage and and, um, live people on the scene and and, and images that are coming out of the conflict um, that are circulating and that just kind of, you know, contribute to this uh, fog of war, what we call it, uh, just a the, the difficulties of discerning what is real and what is not uh, coming out of the conflict.
1: Great. Thanks, Natalie. And I'd love to ask you exactly on the topic of Russian propaganda. How do you compare what the what's coming out of Ukraine in terms of social media and the Kremlin propaganda machine?
2: Well, I mean, when I say Ukraine also has propaganda, I don't mean to put them next to Russia and say, like, look, they're equal, as if, uh, you know, all sides are doing bad things. Um, I think we need to acknowledge that uh, Ukraine also uses propaganda, which has more of like a hero narrative. It's more about like how, um, you know, Ukraine is this this amazing, infallible uh, country that has done nothing wrong. And this, this is a bit of a binary because there are, problems within Ukraine, there have been racist incidents at the border that we can't deny. Um, but the, the Ukrainian propaganda has mostly been about, uh, you know, kind of uplifting uh, the country. And so in that sense, it has been, it has served a purpose of also keeping the Ukrainians motivated and, uh, yeah, bringing the, the West and, and the rest of the world together on, on this uh, tiny but mighty uh, country. Um, Whereas Russian propaganda has been mostly about denying reality and um, kind of creating this narrative of of doubt. Uh, Is it really true that uh, all these atrocities are really happening in Ukraine? Uh, And and next to that, of course, um, you know, making a, a hyperbole of those flaws of Ukraine. Like, yes, there were Russian, um, there were incidents at the border, racist incidents, but they weren't systematic. Um, people weren't systematically denied access uh, uh, outside of the country. So these are kind of things that are, are being um, um, expanded and enlarged to make Ukraine look bad. So it's less about, you know, creating a positive image of Russia, but more about uh, creating a very damning image of Ukraine.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to to compare the propaganda coming out of both countries, because both countries do have different types of propaganda. And of course, in order to spread that propaganda, um, you need influencers. So do you think influencers have had a significant role to, to play in this?
2: Well, I think influencers definitely played a big role and I think we definitely see this um, in this whole social media age where a lot of people get their information not directly from news sources but from intermediaries, people who translate this news towards you or or share it with you. And this could be friends, family, um, but more and more often it comes from people that we've actually never met, uh, that we we follow, that have a huge following, um, and that we develop a sort of what we call parasocial relationship with. Um, and this means that it's a sort of one-sided relation. Uh, you're one of the 40,000 followers, um, but you feel sort of connected to this person. Um, and what a parasocial relationship does, it, it creates a, a sort of like uh, a trust bond. So people will be more inclined to believe this person that they follow, um, this this yeah influencer. Um, and so they have a pretty big impact on uh, the dissemination of, of information. Now, it, when it comes to like, Influencers, I I do think we need to kind of clarify what we understand as as influencers because there's Yeah, when I hear the word influencer, I still think of like the wellness fitness uh, influencer who just shares selfies all the time on Instagram, right? Um, But it can be so much more like uh, anyone with a large following on a social media platform that shares information in their own name is already an influencer so it's a very wide category, uh, and I think some of the really yeah good influencers uh, that I've seen during the pandemic and also during the Ukraine conflict have been people who have made it kind of their yeah their calling to make sure that accurate information gets delivered to their huge following of people, um, and so these can be uh, the wellness influencers, of course, um, but they're also yeah even journalists themselves, um, but also just yeah foreign policy experts. Um, uh, meme accounts uh, like myself, but there's also other really big meme accounts like uh, uh, Quentin Quarantino. I don't know if you know him. He has like over one million followers. Um, and he's been sharing nonstop during the Ukraine conflict uh, fundraisers, uh, information, um, sometimes also a bit more propaganda narrative uh, focused uh, pro-Ukrainian uh, wise. Um, but so, yeah, there have been these kind of influencers on all sides. Um, and when I say that, there's also been huge far-right influencers like uh, Jack Posobiec in, in the U.S., who's just been very adamant on uh, sharing uh, information that the mainstream media wouldn't show you. Um, and so these, these are the kind of influencers we see a lot as well. Uh, the, the conspiracy influencers who make it their, their calling uh, to make sure that all the information comes out um, that they find more, most um, accurate and trustworthy and believable. So
1: how do you feel about briefings for influencers, say, for example, by governments or, or indeed the European Parliament? What, what's your experience been?
2: Uh, so um, I uh, actually I was at a briefing of the European Parliament uh, a few weeks ago, and it's uh, the European Parliament's press service who organized the webinar, uh, and this was in the frame of their um, their committee on on disinformation, uh, um, and I thought it was quite interesting uh, that they actually launched this, and I don't know if it was necessarily inspired by the White House. Um, the White House did this uh, a week or so before for TikTok influencers. Um, And um, they probably, the EU, European Parliament was going to do this already. Um, But it is interesting to see that this happened uh, across the Atlantic uh, for for these kind of influencers. Um, And so, yeah, I was was present um, as someone who follows this professionally, there wasn't that much new for me. Um, the briefing was mostly like um, explaining how to do a fact check uh, how to verify information, making sure that people are aware that there is a lot of disinformation circulating and just the, the importance of um, you know the role as an influencer that, that uh, I think there was a quote like uh, you as an influencer uh, need to um, be clear on, on who you work together with and, and uh, what information that you share uh, that you might not realize is a is political or is, is, um, has, has hidden uh, messages behind it. Um, so th- these were kind of, yeah, this was part of the briefing. Um, and I thought it was, it was not a bad idea, um, also because it wasn't just the whole how to recognize this information, but they also um, invited some Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian MEP. Uh, there was one activist, uh, uh, Masha Frosinina. Um, I didn't know her because she only shares stuff in, uh, in, in Russian. Um, but she had a very powerful, uh, uh, yeah, she shared a powerful testimony as well, where she said, like, I've been trying to inform people about my, my homeland, about Ukraine. And whenever I share this with, uh, with Russians, like, there's so much hatred coming out of it. Uh, so much people who live in a parallel reality um, and who was just talking about her experience of, of yeah, trying to be nuanced and, and uh, um, sharing the information that she sees, but having to battle almost with her followers. Um, so I thought that was that was an interesting, um, yeah, testimony for other influencers as well. I think that's interesting talking about
0: um, testimonies of of influencers as well in general. So how do you think this speaks to to the wider news landscape? Do you think that influencers are in a way the new journalists if they're the ones that oh, are giving news? Oh, I
2: guess you you hope that they're not maybe. <laughs> Well, I mean, some journalists are influencers and some influencers become journalists. That is also a thing Um, in Belgium as well. We have uh, we had this uh, uh, Twitter account uh, arbiter of tweets. And in the beginning, he was just kind of debunking uh, tweets and he was a historian. And then he was hired as a journalist um, because he did he did a really good job at it. Um, But so I I think there are journalistic practices that some influencers employ, and I do think they need to be um, yeah, commanded on it, as in, as in they, they are doing a good job. Um, but the way I see it in the whole wider news landscape is that influencers are really just social intermediaries. So they're just, um, and this is also how I thought it was a good idea to invite them um, by the European uh, Parliament, is that if they are going to speak to a large audience, we best make sure that they're informed by what they're speaking about. So I think it's a very good idea to um, make their work a bit easier and to facilitate that um, because often they they don't have a whole institution behind them, a whole newsroom um, to uh, do the research for them. So I think it's good to support them in that work, um, but I think it's also important to keep making people aware like this is one person um, who Translates this to you, but still from their own personal perspective, um, and to keep people, you know, to keep people critical about what that is. Then that this influencer shares. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the wider news landscape. I think we cannot underestimate um, the role that influencers play. Um, but I think, in, yeah, we shouldn't battle it, but we should definitely support them and and also kind of. Um, you know uh hold them accountable for the role that they play
1: and natalie i mean have you seen some influencers having a positive impact and doing a great job and who who would you who would you list
2: well i mean there's there's a few influencers that i, I um yeah that that would fit the more traditional mold um there was one that was also invited to the um uh the european parliament uh portuguese one that i i didn't know of before uh juliana roja um and so she was more like uh wellnessy kind of like uh, activist that saved the earth uh and so she she kind of almost directly reported like okay i was at this uh press briefing this is what they they were talking about this is how i understood this um but yeah there's also the the influencers that we we actually haven't mentioned yet which are um the the people with lived experience um the ukrainians on the ground the people who yeah tell how what it's like from um being in ukraine during this conflict uh and i thought there's two um on tiktok that i really like um there's a valerish is her name and i think you might have seen it as she did this like a jokey like what's an average day in a bomb shelter like and then she just did this uh the italian like just kind of snapping her fingers uh in front of just uh torn down buildings so it's kind of like using humor very dark humor um to just show the experience of like we are actual humans living here um and i think this is an invaluable uh way that an influencer can contribute to um the way that we experience the news and, and coming out of this conflict, it's, it's just showing like these are actual humans living there. Um, so yeah, I think they're, they're doing a great job. I think in terms of um, the more expertise people, there's been a few fact checkers that I, I really like, uh, especially on Twitter. Like there's a Shayan Sada, Sardarizadeh, sorry, I'm, I'm butchering his name. Uh, is the BBC fact checker and he just does a daily like today in Ukrainian disinformation. And he just kind of lists... Uh, um, what is new, um, and the uh, last one I think is really deserves uh, um, some some recognition is a uh, Terrell Starr, um, who's I've been following for years. He's like a, a scholar on a Russian, um, yeah, Russian Ukraine uh, uh, history and then foreign policy, um, and he's also black, and he really provides like the perspective of, of anti-imperialist, um, anti-colonial uh, American in Ukraine. Um, so as opposed to the always white uh, foreign policy experts, kind of speaking from a like very pro-Western uh, narrative. He's there to really highlight like, yeah, um, the West does a lot of stuff wrong. NATO is not that great as they try to portray themselves. But let's not forget how uh, Russia, what they're doing right now, is a colonial practice. So um, I think he does a great job as well, speaking from a very more personal uh, uh, perspective that is also professional like he he does um uh make sure it is well sourced and 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 uh yeah uh brings brings a sort of like professionalism to the influencer um uh, conundrum
0: that's really great to hear about um some some good influencers online i, I definitely will give them a follow up um and and talking about influencers that have done a good job online what makes a good role model someone to become an influencer and and be seen as a good role model in the public eye
2: well I think what's what's just very important is uh, to recognize limitations so I what I appreciate about these influencers is they they show their respect perspective but they really show it as like this is what I know this is what I see this is what I found Um, but they don't show themselves as like the authoritarian authoritative a source of information. So um, the, yeah, what they always call like being authentic, you know, the, it, it rings true also for the, the news influencer and the anti-disinformation influencer. Um, and the second I think is, is really understanding your audience. So um, knowing what people, what questions people have, uh, what information they're seeking and also just how to communicate with them. Um, because I think I've noticed this with influencers, um, and and also from just I, I hate using the word influencer for myself because I, I'm not active enough I feel to um, to really fulfill that role, um, but to really interact with your audience um, because that that is kind of what. Um, differentiates the influencer social news model from um, the traditional news media model, which is interaction. Like People have questions, they ask them, they get a reply. Um, There's a real human there that they can contact. Um, So, and as a last thing, I think what makes a really good influencer is someone who um, amplifies other voices. So that comes together with the whole knowing your limitations, Try to use your platform for good. If people have like 1 million followers, it, it makes no sense that you would know everything, but it makes way more sense to then use um, that huge reach that you have to amplify uh, other people who might not have that reach. Great. And
1: yeah, absolutely, Natalie. And before we kind of wind up the the episode of Zooming in on Hate, there's a question we ask a lot of um our guests who we invite onto it and i'd love to hear what you what you would suggest for this because i think you spend so much time online you've researched it to such great depth you see the good the bad and and the very ugly even at the, especially at this time so if you had a magic wand to sort out the worst of what you're seeing online what would you do
2: Ha, ah, the one million dollar question, uh, I think I'm, I'm gonna give an answer that doesn't, isn't actually an answer because I wouldn't know how, um, but I think what, what really needs to change is how content that evokes a strong emotion automatically gets amplified and this is just the business model of the social media platforms that we have right now, it's to keep people on their platforms for as long as possible and how do you do that? By keeping people engaged, and you keep them engaged by, you know, evoking emotions. And often, strong emotion is uh, anger, disbelief. Um, yeah, and very often that comes paired with this information, because what is information that that really upsets people? It's it's often things that are, that are invented to provoke such emotions. So. If if we can try to deal with um, to try to tackle this sort of like uh, yeah insane amplification uh, that can just spread throughout the platforms, uh, I think that would be a very very uh, yeah a, a, a really like the the magic wand uh, solution. Also because. Um, the way that fact-checkers work right now is its the whole... Um, they call it the, the Brandolini's Law, the, the bullshit asymmetry principle. So people can put bullshit out into the world and it takes so much more effort to debunk that bullshit. And so that effort costs time and you don't have that time if the bullshit gets amplified and spread throughout the platform at an insane speed. So if, if we could get rid of this automatic amplification of... of um, content that evokes a strong emotion, I think um, we'd we'd be a far longer way out uh, of this information pandemic that is only the first that we're seeing now I
0: think that's that's such a good point to make about yeah getting rid of the amplification also when you're talking about debunking things I've been seeing a lot of things recently about pre-bunking and you know with media literacy and and trying to educate uh, people that are using or just anyone really that is using um social media and is online in in how to look out for these for, for disinformation and misinformation and and everything online and just be a bit more aware and that in itself I'm, I'm sure would help with the ampl amplification later on um so thank you so much for joining us natalie it's been really really insightful and thank you to all our listeners Um, in reaction to the war in ukraine we will be continuing with our zooming in on ukraine in the coming weeks so please watch out for even more content from us
1: and if you haven't uh, subscribed to our mailing list, please do so www.eoh.eu and you'll get automatic updates about all our new podcasts and our newsletter or you can find us on Twitter and
0: LinkedIn to keep uh, keep joining our conversation. And a special shout out to our funder, the European Commission's Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme by DG Justice.
1: Natalie, thanks a million for joining us. Always an absolute pleasure to talk
2: to you. Thank you.